Thank you, Lauren, for a very nice introduction. Um, so it is my pleasure to be here today and to speak to uh, you guys. And the title of my talk is an update on management of patient hyperglycemia. The reason why it's an update because I was speaking here in November 2015, and at that time I did share with you uh, the initiatives that we are planning to do. And uh, now I'm happy to share what we have done so far and what we are planning to do in the future. Um, so uh, I know I don't have to convince this audience that hypoglycemia is linked to increased morbidity and mortality and that we should be treating hypoglycemia. However, I will go over uh, a number of studies on this topic because they do serve um, they do serve um, evidence for the educational interventions that we are doing in our hospital. And then I will discuss the educational initiatives. Uh, I will tell you how we are educating providers how to treat patients with hyperglycemia. Uh, I will also tell you about other population-based approaches that we have, for example, our critical value system and uh, our uh, other multidisciplinary approaches where we are working very closely with physicians from uh, different disciplines, uh, with nurses, pharmacists, nutritionists, and uh, particularly I'm very excited to tell you about our new study that we launched two weeks ago, and it's about educating patients through a video-based microlearning education system, and of course, you know, about our future directions. So uh, hyperglycemia, it turns out, is quite common in our hospitalized patients. About 40% of patients who are hospitalized have hyperglycemia. Uh, about 26 of them have previously diagnosed diabetes. About 12% uh, do not carry the previous diagnosis with diabetes. So these patients found out that they have diabetes for the first time during the hospitalization. And the remaining uh, constitute uh, stress hyperglycemia, and this is a phenomenon known that glucose levels increase in the setting of illness, but once illness results, hyperglycemia results as well. And the 40%, it's really a, in this study, 38 to be exact, it is really uh, just in general because there are studies that report even up to 80% on uh, cardiac patients who are uh, critically ill. And mortality rate progressively increases with increased glucose concentrations in critically ill patients. This is the study from uh, Krinsley and colleagues published in 2003. There are many more studies published since then uh, showing very similar results. So, for example, uh, mortality rate is 9.6% when the glucose level is in the normal range. It steadily increases, reaching 42% when glucose level exceeds 300. So this is really a fourfold uh, increase. So this would suggest that treating hyperglycemia can uh, decrease adverse outcomes. However, uh, we also have to be careful because these are observational studies. And uh, sometimes it is difficult to distinguish whether uh, hyperglycemia is a true mediator of adverse outcome or whether it is uh, a marker uh, of severe illness. Um, the first uh, investigators who really studied whether uh, we should be treating hyperglycemia and how it will affect the outcomes were our colleagues from thoracic surgery. And uh, this is, um, was in the late 90s uh, where they implemented insulin drip protocols. And now it seems like you know, it's a standard of practice, but back then it wasn't. And um, they established insulin drip protocols where they targeted glucose levels from 150 to 200. And uh, they looked at the rates of sterile deep infections because that's what they're most interested in. Uh, in this group of patients, compared to patients who were on sliding scale insulin and their glucose levels were targeted in um, over 200 and 200s. And they found that indeed the rate of sterile wound infection is much lower and patients were treated with the insulin drug, the insulin drug and their uh, glucose levels were much uh, lower um, uh, as well. And there was a relative reduction in uh, sterile risk uh, sternal infections um, by 66%, and uh, 
And impressively, here on the y-axis, you see the rate of dysteronic infection. And once they initiated the insulin drip in 1991, at the end of the study, the rates of sternal wound infections for patient diabetes were very similar to the rates of patients without diabetes. And the first randomized study that really investigated whether we should treat patients with hyperglycemia in a hospitalized patient is a Lumen study. The study is from Belgium, was published in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, in 2001. And uh, it randomized 1,548 patients to intensive group where they targeted glucose level 80 to 108, which is almost normal range, and the conventional group, uh, which they had 783 patients, and in this group, they targeted glucose level 180 to 200. If patients had glucose level of 250 and above, that's when they started insulin drip. And they found that there were fewer deaths in the ICU in the intensive group with the mortality reduction of 42%. And in the hospital, survival was also higher uh, in the intensive treatment group with the mortality reduction of uh, 34%. So this actually changed the way, you know, we thought of um, hyperglycemia in the hospital. Many hospitals around the country were implementing insulin drug protocols. Um, and uh, then in 2009, there was a famous nine Nice Sugar study, which is, was also published in the New Journal of Medicine. And it was intensive versus conventional glucose control in critically ill patients. And in this study, they had patients from, uh, from medical and surgical ICUs. The previous study had patients with this, from the surgical ICU. And again, they randomized 3,054 3, patients to intensive uh, group, which again was very similar glucose targets from 81 to 108. 3,050 patients uh, were uh, in the conventional treatment, which was glucose level less than 180. And please note that even the conventional group here, the target was much lower. In the previous study, the target was 180 to 200. And here, the conventional group had a target of uh, less than 180. And then when they looked at the differences in glucose levels between those two groups, the intensive uh, group had glucose level of, uh, the average was 118 versus 145 in the conventional group. So again, the conventional group still had pretty well um, controlled glucose levels, less than 160. And here, surprisingly at that time, the findings showed that the 90-day mortality was actually higher in the intensive uh, group compared to conventional group with the mortality difference of 2.6%. So um, the authors and, um, concluded that uh, actually we should not be intensely, we should not have intensive target for treatment of hyperglycemia. But please realize that it does not mean that we should not be treating hyperglycemia in our hospitalized patients and that we should not be aiming to normalize the glucose levels. Um, and uh, even though it's still unknown why these patients in the intensive group have higher mortality, there were many post-hack analysis done after the study, and many um, uh, experts wrote uh, commentaries. And one theory is that it's likely that it was due to hypoglycemia, because in the intensive arm, the hypoglycemia was much more common, it was actually six-fold uh, higher than the conventional group. Uh, and the authors concluded that intensive glucose control leads to moderate and severe hypoglycemia, both of which are associated with increased risk of death. Uh, so currently, uh, the guidelines are suggesting that uh, glucose targets for ICU patients are 140 to 180, and target less than 110 is not recommended and actually not safe. And for patients on our medical and surgical wards, a premium glucose target should be less than 140 and random less than 180. And of course, more stringent targets might be appropriate for uh, certain uh, patients. Um, for example, pregnant patients or patients who are well controlled, otherwise they have uh, no uh, hypoglycemia. Or these are not at risk for hypoglycemia. Uh, so, now what are the preferred treatment options for our non-MCU patients? 
And the two famous studies that we are always using to teach residents and other um, special physicians from other specialties are rabbit medicine and rabbit surgery trials. So these uh, two trials came from Ampere's group from Emory Atlanta. And they uh, both, so this one was published in 2006, uh, followed by 2011. And they both looked at, it was a randomized study of basal bolus insulin versus a treatment of um, uh, with sliding scale. So again, they compared those randomized trial, two arms, one was basal bolus and the second arm was sliding scale. And uh, they, 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 this is the medicine trial, and they looked at, uh, they had 130 of non treatment patients randomize them to basal bolus, basal insulin with rapid-acting insulin for meal coverage versus sliding scales, and they found that the glucose levels were significantly lower when patients were treated with basal bolus therapy and not uh, versus sliding scale. The surgical, um, the surgical trial showed very similar uh, results. Again, patients who were treated with basal bolus therapy had uh, significantly lower glucose levels versus uh, patients were treated with sliding scale. And also the surgical trial, what they did, they also um, looked at complications, and the rates of complications were lower in patients treated with basal bolus, so this is gravidrine and glucine, this is rapid acting insulin, and they reached statistical significance for wound infections and composite infections. Uh, so in summary, hyperglycemia is associated with increased morbidity and mortality. It is quite common in the hospital. 40% of our patients have hyperglycemia. Glucose management needs to improve outcomes. And current glycemic goals are glucose level from 100 to 480. And treatment with basal bolus therapy is preferred. Treatment option and sliding scales should not be used. So again, I think it is not controversial for uh, endocrinologists. Uh, however, you know, it's still sometimes um, not that uh, common knowledge to uh, other, other disciplines. So uh, how, the question is how do we reach a larger audience? Because many of our patients who have hyperglycemia are treated by physicians from different specialties, uh, etc. So uh, this is actually an uh, article which is not published yet, but it was accepted to publication and it's currently in press. Uh, it comes from Penn State and the senior authors and peers from Emory. And um, the title is Perspective on Learning and Critical Clinical Practice Improvements for Diabetes in the Hospital, a Review of Educational Interventions from Providers. So um, here what authors did, they, uh, so the purpose of this was actually to examine what educational interventions are associated with uh, improved learning outcomes and also improved uh, clinical uh, outcomes for patients. So what authors did here, they performed a PubMed search where they used keywords like inpatient glycemic management, hospitalists, residents, uh, educational interventions and training programs um, and hospital and they, once they um, did the search, they uh, the search resulted in 1,500 articles which were written on this topic from 2003 to 2016. And then they uh, applied their exclusion criteria that you know, the, uh, they were interested in um, articles that were original studies, the articles that reported the educational interventions and not at the same time with other hospital quality measures, so that way you know it would be easier to link the educational intervention with the outcomes of learning and outcomes of uh, clinical and clinical outcomes. So what they did, they did so they actually found 16 articles which were original and which were uh, really investigated, uh, and, and with the systematic um, approach, they looked at learning outcomes which included knowledge, confidence clinical outcomes, glycemic control, continuity of care, and practice behavior outcomes was really an overlap between the learning outcome and clinical outcome, which included patient safety, glucose monitoring, appropriate insulin use and documentation. And uh, the key really was to see which studies have both increased learning outcome and increased clinical outcomes, as there were some studies that, for example, you know, provided educational intervention, 
but you know they only resulted in improved learning outcome residents or other physicians have improved knowledge or confidence but it did not result in improvement in clinical outcomes so obviously that's not uh, really optimal so they were mostly interested to see what in, in, in studies that have increased learning outcome and increased clinical outcome and what educational interventions that these were associated with. Uh, so after performing this review, they found that application of knowledge through active and participatory learning relates to improved glycemic management, and instruction needs to reach a large multidisciplinary populations. So this brings me to uh, our next um, topic, which is education and outcomes at New York Hospital the University Medical Center. So I will tell you about some educational interventions that we have done, and on some of them we have uh, outcomes, some of them we are still uh, looking at the data and looking for some, uh, and we are in the process of getting statistical help. Uh, so, um, one of the first ones that we've done was educational diabetes workshops for um, mid-level providers who are taking care of cardiac patients. And uh, these were the case-based um, case learning, and by case-based learning, um, it wasn't that we brought cases that you know I've, I've accumulated over the years or published cases. We actually asked providers, you know, the primary team, to bring their own cases from patients they've had in the past week, or um, many times the patients who are still on service. The reason we did this because we believe that uh, that way they will be more motivated to actually learn about this because they will have to take care of that patient. And um, once we had these cases we use this as an opportunity to really teach a couple of um, points. How to initiate treatment based on insulin, how to avoid use of sliding scale as monotherapy, and that you know, we should really be avoiding this based on the trials you know, I've shown you before, uh, how to match rapid-acting insulin to meals, how to titrate insulin, and how to transition from insulin drip to basal bolus regimen when uh, appropriate. And the reason we actually did this because we've been closely working with cardiothoracic surgeons here, and in particular Dr. Raza, who has been extremely helpful uh, to, set up, uh, to help set up this workshop and in general to increase awareness uh, how to, you know, why we should be treating patients with hyperglycemia in the hospital. And um, so the cardiothoracic surgeons were extremely, um, I would say, concerned about the risk of their infections, and their hypothesis was that patients with higher glucose levels will have higher rates of infections based on you know, the previous study. So what we've done, we looked at the patients who underwent cabbage, and we looked at uh, surgical site infections, and we compared patients who had glucose level of 250 and above on at least one occasion, and we compared rates of infections in that group of patients versus patients who had glucose levels lower than 150. And as expected, we found that uh, patients who underwent cabbage and had glucose level on one occasion at least uh, 250 and above had 6.1% of infections versus 2% in patients who uh, had lower glucose levels. And this actually was statistically significant. Um, and we can go Yes? I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. uh, the N is 27 to the left and 15 to the right. Is that what it is? In a reconnection screen? Yes. So if you have the tool N is 4.5, what was the N in each word that you have used? And what was mm -hmm.
we will decrease uh, the number of patients with severe hypo hyperglycemia defined as glucose uh, level greater than 250. And as uh, we suspected, when uh, uh, in 2016, where most of the teaching occurred, uh, there were 28.1% of patients who had glucose level uh, of 250 on at least one occasion, versus on almost 43% to be exact, 42.7% uh, in the previous years uh, where no such uh, education occurred. Um, and again, this was uh, statistically different. So uh, we concluded that surgical side infections were significantly higher in patients with glucose levels uh, greater than 250, and due to teaching, the percentage of patients with glucose level uh, of 250 and above was significantly reduced. And this was actually accepted uh, to the ADA uh, for the scientific uh, session this coming June um, in San Diego. And um, we will have a post-memorial discussion. So um, this was just one of the examples how a population-based approach uh, can work for our patients. And uh, But we are doing other, um, uh, we, we are using other approaches as well. So uh, we also have what we call critical value initiative in diabetes, and the aim is to identify patients with severe hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia, and provide assistance to primary teams regarding glucose control, identify patients with type 1 diabetes and others who benefit from diabetes consult, identify the trend in glucose management, which would lead to severe hyper and hypoglycemic episodes, and identify teams who might benefit from diabetes workshops, the similar workshops that we provided for uh, providers in the care of cardiac patients. So uh, the way how it's being done, diabetes uh, educator um, has an access to a lab system. Uh, it comes from the point of care, from the meter, and identifies patients with severe hyperglycemia as we define glucose level of 315 above, severe hypoglycemia less than 50, and then the diabetes attending, most of the time as Dr. Jack Lomier reviews the chart and uh, formulates the plan, and then um, the diabetes educator communicates the assessment proposed plan to the primary teams via phone. And not only that, we are also having our insulin adjustment note uh, that we put in the medical record. Um, so it's clear that it's not a diabetes consult because we are not seeing these patients. But this is a insulin adjustment recommendation based on uh, uh, the chart. Thank you. Yeah. No, we don't, because we wanted to see like a particular moment what are the glucose level, because that's based on this we make the recommendations. It's just based on what happens during the right. right. And on that particular day, we do this every day uh, for, and we look for 24 hours back. These glucose levels are the once a day blood drawing, or is it a four frequent bedside? It's the bedside monitoring, right. It's from the meter. And so the team, if you call the team, because I know the residents have asked this, and they have a plan. Well, we knew about that, but we already did something. So sometimes they take your advice and sometimes they don't. Right. So that's actually a very good point. Yeah, sure. They don't have to take the advice. Why did you make the upper level so high? Why did you make it to 250? Well, that's a good point because we had so many patients with hyperglycemia that we didn't have enough power to really go over, you know, um, so many patients. But I show you the studies later that one study actually used 350 as we did, but. Um, the one that just came out uh, recently used 25. But it's really because we just didn't have enough power to go over, you know, hundreds of patients in the hospital. Let's answer one question. So what do the teams say? What do they say when you tell them? Well, sometimes they are saying that, um, you know, we already, like, took care of this. We, and other times they're very grateful. And uh, actually, so this is anecdotal, right? But um, in the paper that I will show you a little bit later in a couple of slides, the authors noted that anecdotally, um, they feel like it's the residents don't want to get that note because they somehow feel like they fail. So they try to actually correct the hyperglycemia before they get called, which I think is a great thing because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's more of a uh, surveillance like that. And then do you guys keep looking at the numbers for a day or two? Um, 
we don't, so sometimes the same, we see this, the same patients come back, but very rarely. Most of the time, it's just like a new patients. Uh, they, yeah? Yeah, we keep track of all the patients with conversions over to 50. On average, it's anywhere between 60 and right. 85 patients. Yeah. Right, exactly. So we are tracking, but we're not really using the system. We're only trying to target the most severe cases. Um, so then, um, right, and of course, if, you know, you identify patients who have type 1 diabetes or we think that, you know, they should be really seen by other service, um, then we see them. Um, but this is a very small fraction of patients. Usually it's something like, please start low-acting insulin, this is the recommended dose, you know, or please titrate, you know, here's the recommended titration, etc. Um, so even though we are, we did not analyze our data yet, you know, we are still uh, doing this initiative and we are in the process of getting statistical help. Uh, Jackie Lonya gave me this slide, so what she did, uh, this is really raw data, but it really shows the trends. So these are the hypoglycemic events, but this is severe hypoglycemia, P15 above, hypoglycemic events less than uh, 50. And she compared the number of events from September 2015. So we started this actually July 2015. So that was just two months ago after we started. And compared with September 2016, as you can see, there is a trend uh, for a decrease in hypoglycemic events and hypoglycemic events. So this is the surgical patients, that's about 32% reduction. This is so medical, about 9%. Uh, and same thing here. But likely, as you can see, the end for hypoglycemic events is actually quite low. Um, you know, we are afraid of hyperglycemia in the hospital, but hyperglycemia is still uh, very common. Um, but the hyperglycemic events here are um, the patients who are treated insulin, because we do also have some patients who are hypoglycemic because they just severely uh, ill, and you know, this is not due to insulin. So these are just uh, who are treated with insulin. Tell you that per day, 
in probably on average getting 10 patients with severe um, hypoglycemia, which can above and about 2 3 patients with hypoglycemia. But you are right, if you actually do it for a publication, we will adjust for number of patients admitted and you know, number of patients with hyperglycemia. This is just kind of like a whole data. That the fact that you have so few might suggest that you're actually not that successful. That people really don't want to get that blood sugar down because they're scared of hyperglycemia. So that they're not trying to get it down that much. No, I mean, we go ahead and sorry. Yeah, I mean, we are, again, these are the trends decreasing, but you're right, at the end, we are, are more scared of hypoglycemia in the hospital than we are of hypoglycemia. But you have so. seen the hypoglycemia going up at the same time that this right. is going on. Exactly, exactly. So right. at least it's not worse, yeah. whether or not it's enough there. Right, it's not that you know we improve we improving glucose levels from hyper we decreasing the hyperglycemia event, but at the same time increasing hyperglycemia. And that's not happening. They're actually both going in the right direction. So, um, so the about two years ago, at the same time when we started doing this, there was a study uh, done by Ampere's group. It was actually done at the VA in Albany, and uh, they looked at daily inpatient glycemic survey. Uh, they call it DIGS, a process to remotely identify and assist in the management of hospitalized patients, diabetes, and hyperglycemia. And they did exactly the same thing. They targeted patients with severe hyperglycemia, glucose level 315 and above, severe hyperglycemia 50 and lower. And they found that at the end, they did this for about three years, and then at the end, the rate of hyperglycemia decreased by 41%. Percentage of patient days with severe hyperglycemia decreased uh, significantly as well, and percentage of patient days with glucose level 90 to 180 um, increased. This is actually 63%. I'm sorry, it's a typo. So, um, very recently, about two months ago, there was another study from UCSF published in Annals of Internal Medicine. Association between a virtual glucose management service and glycemic control and hospitalized adult patients. And again, they did the same exact process. However, they targeted glucose level of 225 and above on at least two occasions, and hypoglycemia less than 70. And they here they had more fancy analysis and they looked at number per day per 100 hospitalized patients. They did regression analysis because we are obviously hoping that you know, we are doing a better job in general, so we wanted to um, you know, really adjust for this. That's why they did the initial analysis. That's like a you know, really good way of doing this. And they found that um, glycemic, the proportion of patients was decreasing, but the decrease was much steeper and statistically significant after they introduced the virtual glucose monitoring. And for the hyperglycemia, they found 39% uh, reduction in patient days, hypoglycemia 36% reduction. Uh, so again, you know, this is already a second published study uh, that shows that uh, this population approach is actually working and uh, it's being more widely used in other hospitals. Uh, and this lasted, uh, they did this for about three years as well. Um, so, um, we are also doing other initiatives in our hospitals that, you know, are having really a population-based approach. Um, we are teaching nurses staff um, on a daily basis, actually do daily runs. We are giving ground runs a couple of times a year for nursing. Uh, we are giving similar workshops that we provided for our cardiac teams. Uh, for oncology renal transplant, we are working with pharmacists to develop and implement protocols, guidelines. Uh, yesterday we actually approved a guideline for the CTICU before to really close with the pharmacists there, where um, we mostly focus how to transition uh, patients from insulin drips when they're actually ready to visit both uh, protocol and, um, and also provided other uh, help how to manage the diabetes and we will most likely <coughs> do some educational interventions there, so that just got approved yesterday. And um, we're working very closely with nutrition. We developed a champion uh, nutritionist. Uh, we will have two uh, nutritionists rounding with us on daily basis for patients who require um, teaching and carb counting, and those are patients with type 1 diabetes and um, contratectomy. 
And uh, we've noticed also that, and it's not just our hospitals, it's really a problem around the country, um, but we've noticed that uh, there is a poor coordination of meal and insulin delivery. Um, and that's, you know, as you can imagine, the patient is at home, they are responsible for everything from checking glucose levels to administration of insulin, preparing the food in the hospital, there are at least four services involved. There's a pharmacy, there is nursing assistant checking glucose level, the nurse is giving insulin, you know, the food has to come from the kitchen. So the um, risk of something going wrong is actually quite high. So right now they are developing a pilot study, which actually I'm meeting with them uh, this afternoon to see how we can implement this and how we can make this better. And uh, modifying the diet for patients with diabetes, you might think that's a common sense, a nation packing juices, but it was actually quite hard to do. And we did this, and we do have, it's done. <laughs> and we, we do have a medicine a resident, uh, Sarah Kroner, who actually has just got an IRB approval and will be analyzing this data, you know, how the change in uh, our diet affected glucose levels. Um, so, you know, it's all great that we are interested in looking at the studies and teaching each other. And however, you know, we shouldn't be forgetting that the patient education is actually a critical component because even if you teach everybody in the hospital and you know, patients is given the right doses of insulin, the right orders are in place, but if the patient who otherwise needs insulin decides to have pizza in the middle of the night, and you know, you can, without insulin coverage, you can imagine that it's a very high risk for becoming severely hypoglycemic. So, you know, despite our efforts that we don't include the patient, uh, you know, then we are not as successful. And, um, it's, uh, of course, you know, we spread uh, the word that everybody should be an educator, whoever takes care of patients, but you should be also looking at innovative ways to teach patients um, also. So, uh, this is a study that I would like to tell you about, which we just launched two weeks ago, and we're very excited about it. So, it's a video-based microlearning education system for patients who are new to treatment of insulin, and by new to treatment of insulin, we define as um, insulin start within the last four months and it is a multi-center non-randomized pilot study uh, we are one of the sites there is a duke university medical center there is a medstar diabetes institute and we are planning to enroll 225 patients across all sites 120 patients including three fastest growing populations diabetes african america south asians and hispanics and uh, we will provide uh, very short videos online. Those videos are anywhere from 30 seconds to four videos, on average about two minutes. And they will have instructions on survival skills, instructions on insulin injections, and lifestyle management. And the lifestyle management is actually interesting because it's culturally relevant. Uh, there are some videos on how to, done, uh, how to uh, take care of their diabetes uh, and still have eating food from very ethnic cuisines. So they talk mostly about potion controls and you know various substitutes. Um, and the outcomes which we'll be looking at will be the ease of use, how easy it is to use the system, the usage, how many patients given access to the system actually use it, viewership, what do patients watch, and we will test the satisfaction, effect of patient activation, beliefs and attitudes related to insulin use. And so the patient gets a lag and this is what they see. Uh, and then they can pick which videos they want to watch from which category. So for example, this category is new to insulin, and so those are the videos. This is the ABC of diabetes, managing diabetes, watch out, so those are kind of like do's and don'ts, and away from home, and your life with diabetes. And again, they can just pick any videos they want to watch. And some videos are on patient testimonials, some are you know, videos um, taped by providers, and some of them are just cartoon interaction, pretty nice. So the uh, video, the topic that comes up very frequently in the hospital is why am I getting insulin in the hospital? So for example, you know, you can imagine there are patients uh, who are treated uh, for the diabetes or medications, then they come to the hospital, they develop contraindications to those medications, we treat them with insulin in the hospital, and it's likely they will go home on insulin, maybe temporarily, maybe for a longer period of time, it depends. So trying to explain this to a patient, sometimes it's, it's tough. And again, these videos are not to replace the education we're already doing, this is just uh, an additional uh, tool. So
So I will try to play it for you just to get a flavor. This is like a two minute video. Let me see if we can play this. I'm sorry, this is not, let's see. No sound. All right, anyways, unfortunately, there's no sound when we try to do it earlier work, doesn't work, but you get it. So, anyways, this is like a two minute video. I apologize, I couldn't show it to you now. Um, but um, that's just one of them, it's a two-minute long. And, so why are these all in, in different languages? So this is now, um, we will be translating to Spanish. Okay. So it's going to be English to Spanish, yes. Um, and um, we will provide patients with a survey before and after. And um, the first survey will be patient activation measure. And the patient activation measure really covers um, four stages and the of activation. The first stage is uh, patient believes that they should have an active role. Uh, second is that uh, whether a patient has knowledge and confidence uh, to take action, then is taking action and staying the course even in the setting of stress. So for example, question number one, when all is done, when all is said and done, I'm the person responsible for taking care of my health. Uh, then, uh, you know, the last stage is I'm confident that I can maintain lifestyle changes like eating right and exercising and during stress. And then we will also uh, test the attitude towards insulin, and those are three questions. I'm worried about taking insulin, I'm not sure I can manage my diabetes with insulin, I don't know if insulin may condition worse, and again, you know, they can um, ask whether they agree to with the spectrum. Um, once they watch a couple of videos, they get this survey, and it's basically on usability, satisfaction, understanding. Uh, this is you know, how they satisfied with their videos. And at the end, about a week later, they get the same PAM activation, uh, PAMs for patient activation measure and uh, measure towards the attitudes and insulin use. Um, and then you know, they uh, respond to that survey and they actually get a gift card. Um, so, um, what we then analyze, we are looking at usage of data, what was the uptake, percentage of patients who viewed at least one video, engagement, uh, average number of videos viewed, and survey response data, so we basically will compare surveys uh, pre and post, and those are the PAM and attitudes towards insulin, we will look at the correlation, initial PAM score and number of videos watched, the number of videos viewed the change in PAM score from pre and post, Initial attitude towards insulin score, number of videos watched, number of videos viewed, and change in attitude toward, uh, ins uh, towards insulin score from pre and post. So, this will be a preliminary data or uh, used to inform the design of future randomized controlled trial, and it is very likely that we will be one of the sites as well. We will uh, look at how providing these educational, educational videos result in patient outcomes. So, first, we're trying to test it if it actually works. If patients like it, and uh, later, you know, once we get the results, hopefully we will launch the study here. So a couple uh, quick questions. Mm -hmm. so one is, are the is the nursing staff and the other health staff seeing the videos? Because I can imagine people <laughs> becoming educated and then you know, creating potential conflicts with it. The reason I'm getting into this is so that everybody's on the same. So this is a very good question, and we spent hours with the company creating these videos just so they are not controversial. No, no, but just so that the, the nurse our here. nursing staff is wonderful, and our right. residents mm -hmm. are wonderful. But you know, when you give patients knowledge, you want to make sure that the the um, health staff also have the same information, so that either there's misunderstanding or James 
you were saying? Yeah, no, I was just saying, so for example, you know, I'll give you one example how it can apply. So when we, we were giving like a lifestyle videos, right? There was an exercise. So this is one example. We said, well, we cannot give that video because some of our patients just had a cardiac transplant. They might not be able to exercise all of a sudden. But are we, in, are we in-servicing? I think what you're asking is, are we in-servicing the staff at the hospital to tell the patient the same thing exactly. in the video so that it's reinforced? No, they know what's in the
And then we are really emphasizing the importance of communicating this to the primary care physician and to the patient. We are telling the patient, and you know, again, I wish I showed you the video, it's actually pretty good, because it gives an idea that you are on insulin now, your doses might change, you might not even be on insulin three weeks from now, and it will all, you know, you just have to monitor glucose levels and convey this to your primary care physician so then they can uh, take um, care of, you know, they can help you out. If people don't have primary they call us? Do they call the inpatient team for a few days? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. So we think that somebody, you know, is kind of like, oh, my primary care retired. Uh, and this happens yeah. most of the time. <laughs> well, it happened most of the time actually last week. We had somebody, you know, here. So then we say, okay, we'll help you until then. And then, you know, they can just resume the care with the primary care. Um, but, um, yeah, I would say that now that there is actually a quite good establishing uh, care with the primary care providers. So now we're trying to take a step um, forward and say, well, you know, they should actually call the primary care with the numbers and, and expect that their insulin uh, dose might change. Yes? Um, maybe have them come for a class after they're discharged. And in that class, there's going to be computers. Um, but to see whether or not they're on insulin or not on insulin and, um, and uh, to help with that transition. So many of the patients are coming to the classes here. Again, not everybody, um, but the class really gives you a very general um, obviously education. It's not, um, it's not, it cannot really, you know, we can't make recommendation for each individual patient. So yes, you know, a lot of these patients do come for classes here, but at the end of the day, you know, they have to do their own um, insulin titration with whoever will resume their care. But some of them actually do come here and we help them. But, you know, it really depends case by case. Are you going to try to do this all in Spanish or you have a lot of patients? The, the videos? Yeah. Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, thank you very much.